Hello and welcome to another episode of Design for Change. I'm Stefan and for today's conversation I was joined by social spatial designer and researcher Ilaria Palmieri who talked to me about her work with asylum seekers, the importance of community and how she and her business partner are using their background in spatial design to create a platform for inclusive and open-minded spaces. We have to have a part of daily lives. will rise in the next 30 years by the we same amount as they did in the last 100 years. Still to this day, fossil the United fuels. States will withdraw from the Paris Climate what Accord. Can we do? What can we do that we're not already? Doing? What can we do? This is this is welcome, 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 welcome to as I design, design for change. How did you? become a designer, an architect? No, I'm, I'm not an architect, first of all, but actually the whole process through which I got closer to the creative field started by me wanting to become an architect. And this was uh, during my high school. I come from a family where already architecture is like in a, in a way inserted. My, my grandpa is an architect, my uncle, my cousins. So I thought maybe because I really had this uh, interest for um, collective spaces, and I wanted to be able to design for people uh, uh, to gather in these spaces. But then when, when I actually did my test to enter into the, the university and I passed the architecture test, I thought, okay, no. I had a really strong impression that architecture was already back then, we're talking about, I think it's eight years ago now, was really stuck in a commercial way of um, seeing constructions. And I discovered the, um, let's say, the faculty of, uh, the, of interior design and in uh, Milano. And I thought maybe design and interior design could be for me, uh, like could, could mean for me uh, a path to still reach the idea of designing for public spaces or like for collective spaces, but going through the design field, which is a, a bit more open land. Also the, I mean, s still now we are, like we use the, the word design to mean many things. And I think that we are both not very uh, comfortable in defining what design means. Yeah, back then I thought maybe this openness and this freedom uh, can be my, my way in. And then when I started to, to study at the Politecnico, I realized that this was not the way in for me at all, because it was, was very, very technical and was actually taking me away from the people, which was my, my uh, main goal at, at the very beginning. But then I was almost finishing my bachelor, so I, I, I said, uh, or shall I do, shall I just like, I don't know, blow everything up or continue and see where these studies bring me. Uh, but then in uh, Milano, I mean, I, I had a very nice time and I, I learned many things, but there I didn't have any chance to experiment with what I did actually here when I moved to The Hague to study. So to experiment with participatory practices. In uh, my bachelor studies, we were really forced in a way uh, to design according to certain pillars that belongs to a century that we are not in anymore. And this, these pillars uh, are, of course, uh, uh, historical pillars and therefore shouldn't be ignored like completely. But I do not believe that uh, the way that we sh should look now at Le Corbusier design or just to, to name one should be um, a teaching pillar, let's say, for a student who's approaching. Uh, yeah, and I, th I think it's interesting because in the creative field, it's always about evolving and uh, changing and exploring. But at the same time, in the in the teaching, uh, it's sometimes really fixed to these old ideals of how things are supposed to be, 
and I'm not uh, neglecting the, the the quality behind the theory for that time, but things just evolve. But I, I think it's it's already interesting to me that you're saying that the social the uh, the social aspect, the, the community part of it, uh, was more interesting for you than this technical way of doing design. Did that evolve during your studies or was it always part of Ilaria? No, it did evolve. And actually, I just have in mind one image that I just feel like sharing with you. These drawings that me and my, uh, let's say, teammate from the bachelor that we had to deliver for the final exam. We designed spaces, interior spaces, sometimes museum spaces or exhibition locations. And inside these drawings, we were always already putting as figures and like silhouettes people. But there was not even one time when we started our design from these people. Mm -hmm. But still, it was in, in a way sort of like uh, necessary for the, for, the, for the teacher and for the final outcome to see that these places were uh, like inhabited. When I started noticing this, uh, it, it really got my, it, it really triggered my observations where I, yeah, the, the moment that I actually realized that I was really looking more at the um, technicality of the execution, execution of a design more than uh, um, the possible results on the people that were living or using that spaces. So I think uh, this happened uh, at almost at the end of, of my bachelor where I started to do to like to wanted to be more engaged with the social part of the, the design process. And then I moved to London, uh, hoping to find this possibility, so to design more with an inclusive uh, process. But this there also hasn't happened. I didn't find my, my way there. And maybe just looking also back at my history is also how a person like grows up, I think. I really admire who already comes to the creative field knowing his or her or their direction. Uh, for me, it, like, it really took me a while to uh, figure out my direction, but also that I could have done the thing that I had in mind. And I feel now, after uh, moving to The Hague and in general to the Netherlands, I feel much more comfortable and confident also in trying to pursue which are my goals. This inclusiveness, this the social aspect, were you able then to really incorporate that at all in in Milano or that was this then something really the reason why you wanted to come to the Netherlands to explore? It didn't really happen in uh, Milano but I don't feel uh, really um, sure in saying if it didn't happen only because of the study program or also because of me maybe my eyes were not and my mind were not yeah were not really ready for that kind of thinking yet I think it's also really a matter of a um, exploring your surroundings. Um, I mean, I come from Rome and moving in Milano, even if it was a different kind of city, but I was really at ease there. So maybe somehow I didn't really myself, like I, I in a way, didn't put myself uh, in these uh, external observer eyes, which I think are needed as a social designer. And I think I got this maturity only when I moved here. Because here I, I really, I, I met people that also felt excluded in a way. So somehow I realized how necessary this call was, not as a mission level call, but how indeed how ordinary and like on, our, on a daily basis this uh, inclusiveness is missing from the design education. I, I would say education and luckily it's now really getting into the design field. But I wanted to be part of this. I think social design is, is a very broad term. Mm -hmm. 
It's uh, also weird are... for me to say that because actually it always happens that, that people ask me, so do you define yourself as a social designer? And I say like with a big prompt, like just a yes. And then they ask me, but honestly, social design can mean everything. Can you be more precise? So, I, I mean, I probably met you like all, all over again already. No, this is exactly my question. How do you how do you see that term, social design, and how do you define that for your own practice? So for my own practice, I always try to associate the social and spatial design together because social design can also be someone who works with the communities and on, on a social level. In my perspective and Mm, the way that I apply to my practice is always related to a spatial configuration. So how can we approach or like make the uh, design of a space, either domestic space, public space, private space, always related to the social needs? What social needs did you then focus on uh, once you realized, okay, social design in its broadest term is yeah, where so you're going my, towards? My, my main focus has been for these past years on the, on the let's say, um, asylum seekers communities. And this was because I've been already uh, longing to try to uh, go into this direction with the spatial design field. And I thought the way that in general, there is also this big gap that it's still creating some uh, doubts into my mind or some um, doubts or also openings. Every time that we speak about asylum seekers' uh, spatial condition, we always relate to architecture. As if architecture, and still now I think interior design or spatial design, still stands under the big dome of architecture. But I think my uh, take, I mean, I wanted to take uh, an approach that was really from an um, interior designer, like domestic level on the asylum seekers condition. And I think in general, if, if we look back at some uh, pro many of the proposals for asylum seeker centers or uh, the way that policies are also made for them to be integrated, uh, mainly these are related to the bigger, let's say, complex of housing. I wanted to try to do something that was really focused on the domestic level not meaning like decoration or something from the like furniture wise, which could have also been, but I wanted to try to see how from the inside then we could have together designed the outside. Since we're already so close to the project that you also showed at the Dutch Design Week last year, being a host in a hosting country, can you give maybe at first a small introduction to what this project is about? Um, so the, the, the project started as my master project but has been like, let's say that uh, has been boiling for a long time uh, and hopefully it's going to continue and grow. I wanted to try to, as I also said, to, um, to give a little contribution on the design of um, asylum seeker centers uh, in a way that it could bring to me and to the asylum seekers uh, immediate results. Meaning that I wasn't like, let's say that this is my whole uh, process that happened into my mind when I started um, investigating this topic and I thought okay many are already the projects that are trying to change or to better design uh, uh, environmental wise also these locations but many are the locations that are already existing that are actually used to host these people then again what about these people I again uh, had in mind these uh, axonometric drawings of all of these uh, asylum seeker centers uh, uh, with all these people inside, but I wanted to go to these people. That's what I had in mind. So I actually didn't plan the whole project. Uh, it really developed over time. 
it was very uh, like a hard struggle for me in the beginning because I really wanted to literally meet these people and to try to enter into these locations either in uh, in here or in, in Italy where I come from because in Italy I already had experiences with with them because I, I volunteered for two summers uh, um, in a second level of reception centers in, uh, in Sicily. And there is where everything about my, let's say, thought started, because my task was to make some paintings uh, with, with these asylum seekers to make their uh, garden, let's say, more nice. That's how they presented to me. Then I ended up teaching Italian to them, because that's just who I am. Um, and we eventually also made these drawings and by making these drawings, I understood also again. I mean, I had the sort of a trigger. Okay, I'm a designer. I always, I'm, I'm always drawing. Can a drawing mean something else than just a deliverable object? But can it be a process of appropriating, of like claiming spaces? After three years, I finally tried to do that with my project. That's where everything started. But in like in order to really develop, um, I thought develop a, a strong and a powerful. Um, project that could have had uh, immediate results. So without having the big vision of like changing the whole situation about asylum seeker centers, I wanted to visit some of these locations in the Netherlands. But they, um, yeah, like I, I contact the, the COA, which is the co uh, central organization for uh, asylum seekers in here. And many times they, they said me no, no, because I wasn't allowed to research in this center. So if you go there to research and eventually also gather information that's not legal that's not possible but what's the reason for that impossibility uh, there's always this privacy level which i think always has pros and cons because uh, many of these uh, like let's say many of the residents of these locations some of them are not yet let's say done with their uh, asylum process so some has to be taken under even more strict privacy policy. The COA told me that only for research, research purposes, purposes uh, I could have gone there because uh, this meant this in their mind and also in mind actually. Mind, yeah, could have mean that I maybe could have taken pictures or talked about personal things with the with the residents, which after all, little spoiler happened anyway because of course they are. But then I discovered that if you would have proposed uh, uh, creative workshops or like creative activities in these centers, then uh, my proposal maybe would have been welcomed a bit more. Then again, I thought, okay, then maybe here there is really a way in because the, the COA is accepting creative field as a way to empower also the, the residents. And then I uh, came across this amazing um, foundation. It's called Stitching the, the Frolichheit. Uh, and they are mainly doing uh, yeah, creative workshops uh, or activities in, uh, in asylum seeker centers. Actually, in this whole process of my project, I also, as you maybe know or don't know, but I learned how to be careful with words, in general, like with words, uh, because uh, I, I was used to say refugees, also to mean to indicate asylum seekers, but a refugee and an asylum seeker seeker are like two different two different um, level of um, integration into a let's say hosting country, and this is actually a big regret that I have because on my thesis uh, I wrote refugee centers, but actually my special focus has been on asylum seeker centers, but it's always nice to look back and now I have time to also here 
make myself more, uh, I think, fair and calling these uh, residents as asylum seekers because uh, who, like the um, refugees, are people that obtain the status of, of a refugee. Asylum seekers are the people who are living in these locations because they are waiting for this, uh, for the status to arrive. While you were saying this, uh, or while you were talking about uh, your your way into the topic of working with asylum seekers and uh, going to these centers, for me, the thought is the situation, the political situation in in uh, in Italy, in Germany, throughout Europe, where um, I think since 2015 there has been a strong increase in right-wing uh, political parties and the public opinion has seemed to sh been sh shifting from welcoming to highly critical. Mm -hmm. How did you en encounter that during your work or workshops uh, with the asylum seekers? Uh, was it something that was a, a, a topic? Uh, I would say yes or, or, and no, mainly for the language, because I didn't, uh, I so I organized these workshops inside these centers, but uh, most of these workshops happened with people that didn't share uh, my, my native language, of course, but also I didn't share their native languages uh, and English was not a common language. So um, somehow the, the conversation really stick to the, um, uh, let's say, to the realization of the workshops. Uh, someone, because, yeah, someone wanted to explain or express more about their concerns, about their life or their current situation, and they did, but I have to say this happened more in Italy than here. I cannot say why this happened more there than here, uh, because, yeah, I also forgot to, to mention that into my pro process, uh, I then managed also to go to Italy to do some workshops also there. But in general, I wouldn't say that this was a main... Uh, topic in uh, our workshop but of course like if if we want to see the the bigger picture also the title that i i gave to the project to be a host in a hosting country is already a sort of like a, a reaction to the um, politics choices that uh, the italian government is now even now now especially more taking so to, to block and to not even consider any sort of integration but my again like i, I really wanted to get at the core of it i think I mean, it's, it's not to push it or, or something, but I really think that in the end, because I, I was struggling so much to try to do something that was not, let's say, yeah, a mission or something, that at the end I really got at the core. And in the end, I speak about hospitality, which is what, what we're all talking about. But I do it from a perspective that somehow reverse the agency that the politicians or a government can have on these people and put this agency in in the asylum seekers' hands. So in a in a way, this is this whole uh, political process is part of my project, of course, but was not part of the workshops conversations so much. Then, since you already mentioned the topic of hospitality, the title being being a host in a hosting country, um, can you explain that a little bit more or yeah. give insight on how that? title came to be and what what's behind it yeah and uh, i think that this maybe is also helping your first first question when you ask me to present the project because in the end i didn't do so much so i'm gonna do now so to, to be a host in a hosting country and the subtitle is hospitality as empowerment in refugee centers which should actually be asylum seeker centers is a, i think it's a really descriptive title for what my project was about in the is about in the end which is how can uh, 
uh, asylum seekers become host in these temporary locations where they're living. Because um, during the interviews that I did before the workshop, so I had the chance to interview some of them before, the um, hardest part in their daily life. So again, we were not talking about the whole situation, situation in which they were living, but we were talking about how on a daily pattern something could have been made for them to feel more, I wouldn't say at home, because actually when I started this research, I wanted to bring them to this feeling of belonging, but this, this is just not possible. I mean, of course, for some it is, but as a general perspective, this is not going to happen because this is not going to be like a, let's say, long-term home. It's just a location where they are, where these people are temporarily living. But still, how can we intervene in this temporary location to make them feel uh, more human, human and humanized? And hospitality came out as a word, both because from my country and my culture, it, it is really a thing, but also because in the culture of the people that I met, it is really a thing. And it, um, it came out that the, the possibility for these people to host someone over with someone who's not part of these um, locations, this was what was really, really missing. And then uh, I had this uh, trick, I mean, just this sort of uh, twist into my mind. And I thought, okay, my contribution to this can actually be like working on hospitality. And then we are called Italy at first, but many other countries, of course, hosting countries. But then hosting, what does host mean? What if we give hospitality, which into my, let's say, process means giving agency and like a sort of control on their domestic lives to the asylum seekers? And that's what I actually did. And my workshops aim to give this agency to the people. So we together try to understand how they could have claimed certain spaces inside these locations. But again, I was not allowed to enter in some of these rooms either. And that's when I came again with the idea of the drawing, thinking back of the drawing that I did in the Asylum Seekers Center where I, where I was in, in Sicily. I thought drawing sometimes can be seen as a sort of like a final outcome or decoration element. But what if drawing is the whole process? And since we didn't share with many of these people the same language, drawing really became a communication tool. And by drawing was actually interesting because, I mean, I have uh, two degrees as an interior designer, but I'm not very good in uh, making things. Um, and within some drawings that we developed together, some of these people really showed uh, abilities into thinking in a design perspective. And I was quite enriched by that, even if my first thought was like, okay, how, how we will build this? Because I wanted, I mean, my hope was also for them and their hope was not only to have this thing on paper, but to translate into a sort of practical outcome for them to enjoy this uh, hospitality claim, let's say. And there again, I had a hard moment with the COA because they didn't allow us to do some interventions. And if you read on the reason why, it's because uh, these are temporary locations and it's not meant to be that someone invest in, uh, let's say, physical changes that ideally could last for a bit longer than what temporary means. But this went like for really small things, like, for example, we went with uh, some people, they wanted to um, build a, a new wardrobe in a way that they could have hanged their guitar inside. So it, it really, in the end, it really went on product design or like furniture design, which was something that I tried to avoid at the beginning. But in the end, as I also told you, I kept the whole uh, process quite open and I finally forgot about delivering something.
and I just enjoyed everything that happened through uh, during the, the time. But in the end, we did build things that were meant to be used by them during their time in these locations. And it was very nice to see that most, I wouldn't say all, all of them, but most of the um, outcomes were things that they wanted to share with other people. Uh, and this is, of course, because they are sharing already their spaces there. But it was nice for me to still think about hospitality as a share experiences. Can you give some examples of what these things were? I mean, you yeah. mentioned the wardrobe. Yeah, the wardrobe, which we didn't build in the end because it was not possible. But for example, we made a, a botanical garden, uh, let's say, inside this uh, open space that they had. And it was very nice. Um, because even if this was a shared ambition, then one guy really took the, the lead and he took, I mean, he then uh, was in charge of managing the whole uh, plantation of seeds and things. Uh, and then another guy was in charge of uh, uh, using these uh, herbs to cook. So it was a really a sort of process, I think, like a sort of system. Uh, one other thing that we did was a table because, uh, again, I mean, it's of course, I also wanted to go into the cultural uh, conversation, but it's a bit hard. I think it's very broad. But culture, when we talk about hospitality, came as a sort of main character, of course. And uh, many were the people that were thinking about how in their culture they would have used or they would have um, experienced some domestic moments, like, for example, eating in a different way. And in these centers, uh, because it's just a standard way of seeing spaces. They provided uh, tables, like high tables, uh, chairs, uh, and everything that we Western people are used to think about when we think about a space. But they wanted to have, a, because in their culture, they eat on the ground, for example. So we in the end, we in the end built uh, this low table, and um, some people, they were amazing um, eating, yeah? and they made, I, I can't say we made because I didn't do anything, but they made amazing pillows out of fabrics that they just like, uh, re like revolved and then uh, knitted and then sewed. And this became their new living room. So it's it, it really in the end it really went on small examples that of course uh, again like is uh, are not showing how a center for asylum seeker can be designed, but it's the idea of giving this possibility to the asylum seekers that can that in my goal should be integrated when designing these places. So to tie it back to the very beginning, uh, talk, uh, <laughs> speaking about social design, I think in a way you are a, a facilitator, no? I find that quite beautiful that you see or that, that, that it's able to show that designers, uh, whatever that means, don't have to be this sole genius of proposing and designing every detail of it and then have people enjoy it. Uh, that it's actually less design is, w is way better because then people actually relate to it themselves and are able to change it or are part of the process in a way. So that I think already is such a nice example of how you come in as a designer. This word, facilitator, didn't exist in my whole life until two years ago. During my whole um, master project, like studies, let's say, my, my teachers, they were always asking me, so who are you, which is your role? And again, the idea of, I mean, of course, it's an education environment, so we have to somehow show that we are aware of which is our position. But I think for me, this embodiment, 
of being a facilitator really came through like just during the process and I'm really happy about, about that because I think that also the way that we see social design or the, the way that I see social design can also be because I of course I have some skills it's not that I don't know anything about design but I think like as a designer maybe I'm able or we should be able to observe certain social needs and then uh, mediate between uh, for whom these needs can be more or less relevant and how to address these same needs for someone else to come, I think. Yeah, in a way then it's not about offering um, outcomes, it's about asking the right questions. That's the main role then of the designer, no? Like for whom am I doing this? Uh, why, in what context? The position of a designer or architect as someone who can design uh, from A to, Z to Zeta luckily doesn't exist anymore. And this is because interdisciplinary design is also now finally in our, on our desk. And the thing that, I mean, I see my goal for a career to be the one that really pursue this inter interdisciplinarity and multidisciplinarity, but really minding that this doesn't mean that a designer can do everything also and can become a scientist, can become a psychologist, this not. The way that I think uh, I want to see the, the future of design in, in this uh, field, let's say, is to be able to have the, the humility to recognize when the feedback or the input of another professionist can be helpful for your own scope of, of uh, intervention. And that's, I think, because I also think sometimes multidisciplinarity can be misunderstood or um, overread. And then you meet people that are just, they say, yeah, I'm a, a scientist again, like I can do this, this and that. But then uh, I think it's quite important to recognize when uh, the collaboration between different fields can be really important for a sub substantial change. And I think also what we are trying to, to do with this podcast maybe is, is this. So to try to combine different voices of designers I, I'm not sure who the other guests are or going to be, but I hope for you that this multidisciplinary, multidisciplinarity input is going to arrive at, at, at one point because I think that's one of the ways to look at the uh, future of, of design. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Definitions are also always temporary and uh, it's good to embrace that, that um, we are evolving uh, as humans, but also in our practice and that uh, things can change. And then um, in two years time, if you define yourself as someone else or as, as someone uh, or your interest uh, shifts to somewhere else and then you uh, work in a different manner. But staying on the keyword temporary, I want to understand again how the COA defines temporary. The temporality is related to the amount of time that people live in these locations. And also to the fact that these locations usually are built up in very like a uh, uh, short time. I mean, after the Afghanistan uh, fled in uh, the Netherlands, uh, we yeah they had a big race of uh, asylum seekers, and of course they had to deal with the uh, uh, yeah like with the housing. let's say mock up of <laughs> housing. That's how I would define. And if you go in uh, in the centers where I also went, it's quite um, uh, hard. Inside these centers, uh, you have all the houses that like were located for other reasons in the past. But then next to it, they built new prefabricated structures. When I went there, they told me the Afghanistan people from Afghanistan, they are there. 
this, you find all, all the rest that, that are here since a longer time. And even this division for me was like, why? And of course, it was because they had to do this in a very short time. But still, like entering in both cases, entering in these locations, in this uh, housing was hard. But into the Afghanistan quarter, let's say, uh, was even harder because uh, you, you could really see that uh, was just um, a quick I would say improvisation. Do you see a way that the the project being a host in a hosting country within these centers can maybe turn into a being a host for your hosting country? Because you talked about earlier about the integration uh, into the country where the asylum seekers are uh, right now, whether it's temporary or long term. Is there a way that this integration can really happen also uh, not by the rules of the policies behind them, that uh, there's more a connection between the, the local community and the people living in the centers? This was also the goal behind the workshop that I did that were called uh, the art of invitation. So the, the first level that I had in mind was to somehow break through these policy regulations according to which people are located in these locations uh, and then they are being hosted. And how could have I helped them to claim their spaces uh, by inviting other people from outside the, the center itself? And why did I uh, do that? was also because many of these locations are really remote from the uh, urban uh, agglomeration, let's say. And my idea is to be able to connect this. So, because again, the location sometimes, in, in Italy is less than uh, in here, I think. But in here they have locations that are being reused to accommodate asylum seeker centers that are uh, like in the forest or in a really remote part of the countryside. And then it's very hard to, to connect these people with the local community. But I thought maybe by doing this workshop, we could have already started inviting someone. This unfortunately didn't happen yet, but I'm working on it. But the idea is to somehow create a design regulation that can allow the design of a collective space in the asylum seeker centers able to be a space, a shared space between who is a resident in this location and who lives around of it. And this was also, I had this in mind because when we build these furnitures with many of these people, they asked me, can we sell these at, at one point? And of course, I mean, it's also their right to, to work. They don't have this right. Some of them, they do not have the right to work until they have all the procedure done. But I thought, I mean, I'm, I'm still thinking how interesting it would actually be if some of the, let's say, entry spaces of the asylum seeker centers can be adhibited or like located to be an exchange point where maybe there is a sort of like exchange between who gives from the city some furnitures and, and they give others. And actually in, in Italy, I had the chance to meet someone who, an organization, now my, the, the name of it, uh, Free Away, who did that. So they organized in a square in Italy, in um, Florence, a sort of exchange between uh, people that wanted to give furnitures to the newcomers in the asylum seeker centers that were just made up and asylum seekers that gave something, let's say, just in, in, in exchange or also not. And this idea of having this square is also one of my drawings because I, I draw a lot, as you maybe understood, and I like to also to draw upon what people tell me. And when I had the chance to meet this person who uh, happened to be part of this exchange moment, uh, I made, a, I think, a very nice drawing uh, of how I imagine this exchange happening. 
And I thought, okay, in Italy, we have already this uh, idea of the shared spaces because of the square piazza. In here, this is happening less, of course. But in the asylum seeker centers that I visited, it's full of these spots that are called like the uh, guarding point let's say and it's where i mean they are also called entries it's where you enter and you as an outsider have to register to say who you are you, you give your id but it's also where they do that the same they also have to say i'm going out for this i'm doing that for that and these mainly i also visited locations that were former prisons and this guarding spot still is uh, uh, meant to be not to to control them as if they are in prison but physically, it really feels like that. I mean, I felt like this. And I thought, what if we exchange some of these uh, locations and we transform them in collective spaces? And then uh, my whole um, mind started to think about the concept that we designers, especially special designers, have of uh, public and uh, private spaces. Private spaces are one, one thing. Public spaces are, are a different thing. But in between, there are the idea of collective spaces and mainly design is shifting toward, I mean, it's either focusing on private or public. What I'm trying to do with my project, especially because of the regulation of these locations that are, uh, let's say, on a public land but privately owned, is to somehow challenge this notion of public and private and breaking it with the idea of the collectiveness in the process, but also in the way that we define a space and we can use it. I want to use this this recording also to ask you a little bit about your practice common ground. Can you explain what your practice common ground is? So me and Georgina, yes, my friend and now also colleague, we founded a common ground practice last year. I was working on uh, already on the hospitality project for asylum seekers. She was working on a really interesting project on um, domestic patterns and gender roles in domesticity. And more than that, like we really felt that the way we we have been trained in a way that was not that did, did not empathize uh, participatory actions while both of us we were already working with that so we said let's really merge our uh, like converge our uh, interests and also our uh, goals uh, and we started to yeah to actually perform and to host these uh, workshops uh, in many cultural centers or cultural institutions or also educational environments where we could have tested the way people perceive their domestic environment. Of course, we really tried, for us, it was a bit hard at the very beginning to address this because uh, since we are also already researching a lot on these topics, we, are, we also have a lot of academic vibes into our mind, but luckily we are really empowered that we are really connected to the empirical experiences. So far we are working uh, yeah, on developing these workshops uh, in, uh, mainly in locations where a community of newcomers uh, and uh, people that uh, have been living there for a longer time can meet and how the notion of hospitality can be in a way used to not have this friction between newcomers uh, and who and the longer let's say residents but this doesn't only concern newcomers is in general like we are really open to everyone who wants to make a change in the way we perceive they perceive their domesticity and we are trying to use, uh, I mean, our life goal is to try to create a new index of designing domestic spaces. And now we, we, we would like to try to research and then apply a new method of looking at domesticity 
that starts first of all from a feminist and like a, as a, again I also told you before uh, intersectional approach because many are still the ideals that are rooted into uh, Vitruvian way of seeing at domestic architecture in general but domestic environment also so far in order to address it to a bigger audience then can be also someone else apart from the people that are doing our workshop we are currently working on a publication project that we are doing actually collaboratively so we ask also other people other people that we met along our journey of research or people that um, are a reference for our work we ask them to write about the way they see domesticity evolving into the architectural field. The idea is, again, to really make a sort of a point for us to understand uh, which is the current domestic, domestic situation uh, and how is it perceived from the people that are within our field, but also not. But the idea is to reshuffle everything that we know about how we are used to communicate with a, with a client or with someone about the design of a space and the layout. So instead of... Uh, drawing plans that are top uh, down and uh, I, I cannot say y yet what is something it is, is going to be probably it's going to be a method of looking at these environments and a method that can empower everyone to see and to apply this uh, sort of uh, perspective on domesticity so to have this multi multidisciplinary approach that is not just in the designer's hand to design a, a room mm -hmm. we are trying to find and to develop new tools to design domestic spaces. And uh, we think that the, the tools that we have been given so far are not following the social needs of the current society. As a final question for you, Ilaria, today, would you say that as a creative, you are positively minded when looking into the future? Uh, I think the idea is to um, see empowerment uh, as a way let's say, as a call for inclusivity, not only to wait for someone else to include you, but also to stand for your own inclusivity. And I think what me and Georgina with Practice Common Ground are trying to do is, first of all, to set a stage for these conversations. Now it's they are regarding the domestic environment, but we want to learn because we are designers, after all, facilitators, and we are really open in learning how can we develop new tools, new design tools? I mean, we need to be empowered also to feel uh, uh, grounded in order to really see what is happening around us. And I think this commonality that stays, stands in, in our um, practice name is what we are always uh, going to strike for. Inclusivity, community, open-mindedness and togetherness. I think those are very nice final points to take away from the conversation today. But for now, I want to thank you for being on today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure to check out Ilaria's work on her Instagram page or via the links provided in the show notes and make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if this episode made you curious, you can check out Ilaria's work in the beginning of 2024 at the new institute in Rotterdam.